Jim Slattery, Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate. Thank you very much for joining us here at Lawrence.com. Yeah, great to be with you, Gavin. We'll start with some current events, Mm -hmm. uh, some ripped straight from the headline stuff. You recently asked Pat Roberts to give back several thousand dollars worth of donations he had received from recently indicted Senator Ted Series of Tubes Stevens, which Roberts did divest himself of. That just... First of all, it just seems unfair. If you ask the GOP to get rid of all of their illicit corporate donations, and they're not going to have anything left besides cobwebs and tears. Um, <laughs> well, the, the point that I'm, we're trying to make here is, and uh, Kansans are going to be very surprised to learn that uh, Senator Pat Roberts from Kansas voted for a $200 million bridge to nowhere in Alaska at the request of Senator Ted Stevens. And then after that... Uh, $20,000 is given to Senator Roberts by Ted Stevens's uh, political action committees. And, um, you know, that just looks ugly. And we're happy that Senator Roberts recognized that it looked ugly and is giving that $20,000 to charities, hopefully here in Kansas. Sort of to the larger issue, do you think that Stevens was just a bad apple, like a bad actor, or do you think that he's part of a larger systemic problem in Washington that Pat Roberts has mm-hmm. gotten swept up into? Well, the bottom line here is that that after you've been in Washington and working in that environment on Capitol Hill for more than 40 years, and I've been reminding people that Senator Roberts went to Capitol Hill before Neil Armstrong landed on the moon and has been there ever since. And I just think it is time for change, and it is time to change Senator Stevens, too. Senator Stevens has had a distinguished career, uh, and I don't personally like to comment as a lawyer on pending matters of litigation, so I won't go there. But uh, I do believe that it's time for change in Alaska with Senator Stevens, and it's time for change in Kansas with Senator Roberts, who happens to be a very good friend of Senator Stevens. And I think it's time to uh, to retire both of these gentlemen. While we're on the topic of being beholden to moneyed interests, ExxonMobil just recently posted the largest quarterly profit of any company in U.S. history today. This should not surprise us, Gavin. <laughs> yeah. Not with $4 a gallon gasoline in many parts of the country. And, uh, you know, here again, I I hope that Kansans understand that the reckless fiscal policy that Senator Roberts has supported through the years, uh, resulting in, since 2001, $3 trillion being added to our national debt. I call that intergenerational robbery. But uh, that fiscal policy has driven down the value of the dollar by 40% compared to the euros in 2002. That, in turn, drives up the price of gasoline. Some experts believe that $1 out of every four that we spend at the gas pump is attributable to the devalued dollar and the war in Iraq. And Senator Roberts was on the wrong side of both of those major big issues that we pay for every day at the pump. But I thought, according to Pat Roberts and the GOP, high gas prices are yours and Barack Obama's fault. You know, I find that just laughable and preposterous. And, you know, Senator Roberts is running this horribly misleading ad suggesting that I lobbied for big oil. That is absolutely false. Well, maybe to make amends to big oil, and since they're obviously struggling so much right now, uh, shouldn't we open up offshore drilling to them, never minding the fact that they're squatting on millions and acres of unused Mm -hmm. leases? Well, I believe that we should – 
recognize that some of the big oil companies do have leases on about 60 million acres in the western part of the United States, and we should basically require them to drill in those areas uh, in a short period of time or give up those leases. And again, I don't want them le- want them drilling in any of the environmentally sensitive park areas or anything like that in the West. But there are other areas in the West that have been leased, and, and they either ought to drill there or give up those leases. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically about offshore drilling, would you support that if it's if you were in Senate right yeah, now? Yeah, I point? would. I would support offshore drilling out fifty or sixty miles in non-sensitive environmental areas, and I'm open to that. I am not a, a, a supportive of opening Anwar, for example. And uh, I happen to believe very strongly that our generation, the baby boom generation in particular, has a moral obligation to conserve some of our resources and energy for the next generation. The next generation, our kids and grandkids, they're going to need oil too. And I don't want to see this generation suck the last gallon of oil out of America and out of the out of the areas where we know there is oil. So as a matter of national security... And for environmental reasons, I think we ought to save Anwar. And uh, I've made that very clear. By the way, on Anwar, it's important for all of us to realize that according to the Department of Energy, if Anwar was online right now, we were pumping from Anwar, people will be stunned to know, according to the Department of Energy again, that this would result in maybe a 10 cent per gallon difference at the pump. 10 cents. And that's what this is all about. And so even Boone Pickens yesterday in Topeka was very bold in saying, we're not going to drill our way out of this this energy problem. We have to be committed to uh, dramatically expanding alternative sources of energy like solar and wind. And, um, you know, that's where the focus has to be. And also in developing uh, electric flex fuel vehicles, which I think could be very useful in Lawrence and in Kansas City and all over Kansas for that matter. And do you support Governor Sebelius's decision to veto the two coal-fired power plants in western Kansas? Yeah, that that is a state issue, and I've really stayed out of that. Uh, I will tell you that I think over the long term we should not give up on the issue of figuring out how to burn coal clean. We're not there yet, and we have to figure out how to sequester the CO2 emissions from from coal power facilities. But uh, the issue in that whole decision around Holcomb was a state issue, and I really wasn't involved in that debate, you know, in the state legislature. But over the long term, again, we have tremendous coal reserves uh, we have to learn how to utilize those coal reserves in a environmentally acceptable way. Uh, but you do support expanding, for example, wind farms, absolutely, and solar, and absolutely. And uh, you know, I support very strongly uh, the investments in the wind turbines in Kansas. Here again is another area where Senator Roberts and I disagree because he is he has not supported extending and making permanent the uh, the tax credits to encourage the development of of uh, wind turbines in Kansas and I don't understand what he's doing there frankly because wind turbines in Kansas have become a very important uh, business in this state and are prof- and are providing a very important alternative source of energy for our state and the potential is enormous so we should enthusiastically embrace wind energy as an alternative here in Kansas we're the third or fourth windiest state in the in the union for goodness sakes great natural resource let's take advantage of it the saudi arabia of wind yeah do you think that environmental policy could impact the economy. Uh, that is to say, if we invest in 
a greener power grid, do you think that that could go a long way towards, well, both fixing our infrastructure and also building up a Mm -hmm. newer economy uh, that will help us compete on a global scale? Yes. And here in Kansas, for example, the fact that we are investing so much in wind energy, we're going to be investing also a lot in the transmission lines that will enable us to more efficiently deliver that that uh, electricity generated by the wind turbines to the marketplace. All of this is going to create new good jobs and high-paying jobs in Kansas. We should applaud this, we should embrace it, and we should go forward with it. And we should keep in mind that today we are shipping $700 billion a year to OPEC countries. 40% of that $700 billion that is spent on imported oil every year goes to some very uh, difficult sources in the Middle East and in Africa. So about $300 billion of our money is going to Saudi Arabia and other oil-producing countries in the Middle East and into Africa. And Boone Pickens pointed out yesterday that that money that we send to some of these OPEC countries in the Middle East ends up in the hands of al-Qaeda and it ends up in the hands of radical uh, elements in the world of Islam that uh, wish us evil. And he went as far as to say... Our petrodollars, Western petrodollars, most of them coming from the United States, end up funding both sides of the war on terror. And when Americans focus on this and when Kansans focus on this, I honest to goodness believe they're prepared to do whatever is necessary to break this, this dependence on foreign oil. And that's one of the top priorities uh, uh, for me as I run for the United States Senate. We have got to end this dependence on foreign oil, period, exclamation point. It needs to be the number one priority of the next administration. And if we don't, we're going to find ourselves sucked deeper into these problems in the Middle East. And one more mistake in the Middle East, and I don't know where we're going to be in terms of having the resources to deal with the urgent problems that we have right here at home, whether you're talking about health care, education, infrastructure, you name it. We can't spend the money in the Middle East uh, that we desperately need here at home. And it's a telling sign that somebody like T. Boone Pickens has tried to build consensus about a greener yeah. future. Same guy who funded the Swift Boat Veterans. I think it's important for us to realize that, that you know, and I appreciate that T. Boone Pickens is leading this discussion in America right now. I appreciate that, and I give him credit for it. Uh, I think we need to be more focused on conservation of fossil fuel than what I heard T. Boone talking about in Topeka yesterday. And uh, he did agree with me that we do need to focus on, for example, electric uh, hybrid vehicles as a way to reduce dependence on foreign oil also. He agrees with that. I'd like to see him emphasize that more. And we also need to be mindful that as we as we consume more and more natural gas, that is a depleting resource also, which we need to heat our homes. And he acknowledges that the utilization of natural gas in vehicles is only a bridge uh, for the next generation of vehicles. And I agree with him on that. Yeah, he's kind of like uh, Nixon going to China. Only he could do it. (laughs) (laughs) He's got the oil man cred. But while we were talking about depending on sort of an unstable region of the globe for our fuel, Iraq policy, Mm. do you support a timetable for withdrawal of troops or a time horizon if you live in the weird sci-fi alternate universe of the Bush administration? 
or do you want to keep our troops there for 100 years? As I darn, presidential listen, candidates. Listen, I, yeah, yeah, I darn sure do not want our troops there for 100 years. And the thing we have to realize is that we have deployed a predominantly Christian army into the land of Islam. And we in the land of Islam are the infidel in their view. And that's why you're hearing now Malachi, the leader of Iraq, basically agreeing with Obama that 16 months is about a realistic timetable for starting to withdraw American troops. And I think we're at that point where where the Iraqis are going to invite the United States to leave. And uh, I want us to remove our troops as quickly as we can responsibly do so. And uh, that's going to be a uh, a difficult proposition for President Barack Obama or President John McCain. And we have to also be preparing for what I believe is going to be a certain major challenge and threat from a reconstituted, reorganized al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And it will not surprise me if Osama bin Laden is still alive and, and he and his henchmen, you can bet, have big plans for the United States, and they're not good plans. So I, we need to be mindful of this. It is, it is, is regrettable that we got diverted into Iraq instead of staying focused on those people who attacked us on 9-11, and that was Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. The Iraqis did not attack us on 9-11. And, uh, you know, that's one of the sort of tragedies of this war is that the truth was never clearly shared with the American people. And the truth is that, that uh, Saddam did not attack us on 9-11. And unfortunately, Vice President Cheney and others uh, made statements that certainly left a solid impression that Saddam was somehow directly involved with 9-11. And that is a, that is a very regretful uh, chapter in our history. Yeah. And who was it that was on the Senate Intelligence Committee that was supposed to look into these claims of pre-war intelligence? Ah, yeah, well, uh, I can't recall. You know, oh, yeah, Pat Roberts. Do you think that Senator Roberts does bear some responsibility for, well, first of all, us invading Iraq and then the prosecution of the war in Iraq and how horribly it has all gone? The answer to that question is yes. And everybody in the Senate that voted to authorize this action against Iraq uh, bears responsibility. And they should be held to account. And uh, the bottom line here is that, that Senator Roberts was chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. It was that committee's responsibility to get the intelligence data right. The intelligence data was not right. It was horribly flawed. The Intelligence Committee also had the responsibility to tell the American people the truth about Saddam. Why didn't somebody on the Select Committee on Intelligence in the Senate, like Senator Roberts, tell the American people that Saddam did not attack us on 9-11, that Saddam had really nothing to do with 9-11. Why wasn't that information just very clearly shared with the American people? And that's one of my big issues with Senator Roberts and others on the Senate Intelligence Committee. While we're on the topic of intelligence, Barack Obama got into some trouble with the progressive base of the Democratic Party for supporting the recent FISA bill that went through the Senate. Mm -hmm. Was that a bill that you would have supported? You know, I have to tell you that I haven't read all the details of that bill. I mean, I, but I will tell you this, that uh, we have to strike a balance here. And the balance is this. If the CIA and the DIA came into your office and you were the president of a telephone company in Kansas City, 
and said to you, we have reason to believe that someone is about ready to explode a dirty bomb in Lawrence, Kansas, and we need access to your network right now, what would you do if, if it was officials from our government flashing their badges in front of you? You would probably say, okay. Now, on the other hand, if the telecom companies were not being sensible here and were cooperating for a long period of time with the government in granting access to people's private information when the government clearly had the time to go to, to the FISA court or go to any court and get the authority to, to, uh, to have access to that information, that is a whole different proposition. So I have not studied this, this legislation uh, thoroughly enough to, to be able to comment specifically on how I would have voted, but that's the balance that I would have tried to strike. Switching gears to healthcare. Healthcare reform seems to be sort of the unanimous consensus. Mm-hmm. Like the system we have right now is just not working with over what, 40 million people not covered and mm-hmm. then maybe millions upon millions more undercovered by the insurance that they currently have. What is your policy on healthcare? Well, policy is this number one priority to try and expand the availability of health care especially preventive health care for children it is just wrong morally wrong that we have 16 year old kids in this country that don't have adequate access to health care i've told people you can be poor and 16 and the government won't help you pay for health care you can be rich and 66 and the government will pay for a big part of your health care and help me understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. So my priority is to expand the availability and affordability of health care for low-income children in this country. The second priority is to try and figure out how to reduce the cost of drugs. And one thing that we can do is to empower Medicare to buy drugs in volume at discounted prices from the pharmaceutical manufacturers, from the drug makers in this country. Another area where Senator Roberts and I sharply disagree, and he has voted against the bipartisan legislation to empower Medicare to buy drugs at discounted prices. And then the third area I want to just touch on is is there are a lot of baby boomers who would like to retire early, and they are working only because they can't give up their health insurance coverage at their place of employment. And I think we ought to create a situation where the baby boomers that want to retire early can do so and if they're willing to pay the actuarially-based cost of their health insurance through Medicare. That way they'll have an option in the event that they develop a condition during the period of time when they have COBRA coverage for 18 months after they leave their place of employment uh, so that they know that they're not putting at risk their entire life savings if they get the wrong kind of illness. So I want to make sure that these baby boomers that want to retire have a absolute certainty about being able to buy health insurance uh, before age 65 if they're willing to pay for it through the Medicare program. The last thing we have to deal with on health care is we all have to be focused on preventive care. In every study dealing with health care, every study I've ever read points out the fact that exercise, 30 minutes a day, will prolong life, improve the quality of life, and help dramatically reduce the, the incidence of chronic illness like obesity and diabetes and, and heart conditions and all of those kind of, of, of illnesses that 
consume about 40 to 60 percent, depending on what numbers you're looking at, of the healthcare dollars in the country. So I point that out because there's an element of personal responsibility that we cannot blow by when we talk about health care. So we all have a responsibility in terms of trying to exercise. And I know people. there's some people that can't exercise, and I understand that. But, but a lot of people really need to focus on that. So put down the whopper and put up the uh, <laughs> jazzercise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, hate sound, I hate to sound like Coach Bill Self or somebody, you know, when I say that. But uh, you know, trying to urge everybody to run their wind sprints. But and, I'm sure the and just for his own health, I would suggest that uh, Coach Mangino maybe hit the treadmill once in a while. I said it. I said it. Nobody else said it. Um, I'm just concerned about the guy. I'd like to have another winning season. I hope mm. he's here for it. But back to healthcare, just real quick. Would you, in the long term, support some form of universal healthcare, whether that be like mm-hmm. by mandate or by single payer? Or, or I'm what? I want to work to that end, and I want to do everything I can do to get to that point where all Americans are covered with with the basic health insurance coverage. And uh, we have to figure out how to get there. Is it possible with the insurance and pharmaceutical lobby willing to go thermonuclear war on the topic it is going to be very difficult but there's there's a growing awareness that if we're going to be competitive in the global economy we have to do something to get the cost of health care you know off the ledger of some of our major businesses in this country that are competing in the global economy so for example the auto industry I mean, uh, some indication is that maybe as much as fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars of the price of every new car in America is is related to the cost of health care, either for active workers or for retirees. That is a cost that Toyota and others manufacturing uh, cars in Japan or Germany and other places around the world don't have. So their cars come into our market with a built-in price advantage simply because they're not paying in that car price for the cost of health care. And, uh, you know, as the, as the global economy becomes more and more competitive, there's going to be more interest in correcting this kind of a problem. Funny how a healthy environment and a healthy workforce might lead to a healthy economy. Then we mentioned lobbyists, and I would be remiss if it didn't come up, but yeah, you sure. were a lobbyist yes. uh, after you left the Congress. Yes. The Roberts campaign has made hay out of this hmm. issue. How do you confront that kind of attack? You confronted head on, and, you, and, and we have done that. We have disclosed all of the companies that I lobbied for. I'm proud of every one of them. I have never taken a client since I graduated from law school whose cause I did not believe in. I've had the pleasure and the honor of representing companies in Kansas and in the Midwest like Kansas City Southern in Kansas City, Midwest Grain in Atchison, now called MGP Products. And I represented that company in my hometown in a battle with the European Union on a very unfair trade situation. And it was like a five-year battle with the European Union. That work helped save a business in my hometown and helped save hundreds of jobs. That's good work. I'm proud of it. I was paid well for it. And uh, I'm surprised that I'm being criticized for being you know, successful in that work. I think it is legitimate to ask the question, who did you lobby for? And uh, I didn't lobby for aid, I mean for Eads Airbus, but Senator Roberts' son did. On, you know, on a very important piece of legislation that had it passed, 
it would have prevented this problem with, with that Boeing is dealing with in, in Wichita right now with the tanker. So, you know, um, I didn't lobby for Eads Airbus. I didn't lobby for any big oil. I didn't lobby for the pharmaceutical industry. I lobbied primarily for important companies in the Midwest and some national companies also that had national and international problems. I'm proud of the work I did. I make no apologies to anybody for it. Didn't Senator Roberts, ironically, have an ad up where he was taking credit for bringing uh, aerospace jobs to Kansas? Well, he left that perception. But what the reality is, is that in 2005, uh, the defense authorization bill was passed by the House, and it contained some very well-written by american provisions. And had those provisions been retained by the Senate— then Boeing would not have had the problem it is having today. Senator Roberts agreed with President Bush and with Senator McCain to delete those Buy American provisions that would have protected Boeing. And as a result of that, Boeing is in this mess. Now, I want to point out that if you want to talk about lobbying, Senator Roberts' son was retained by Eads Airbus to lobby on that bill. Now, in fairness, Senator Roberts says, well, he wasn't retained to lobby on the provision dealing with Boeing in that bill. <laughs> but we can, you know, get the facts out there and people can draw their own conclusions. And another talking point that the Roberts campaign is using, and I would also be remiss if I didn't bring this up, is it true that Barack Obama returned a contribution that you made to his campaign because you were a registered lobbyist? You know, I... Did he? I don't know. I, I guess he did. I, yeah, I don't know. But I know he's taken my money. Okay. I've made contributions to, to Senator Barack Obama, and, and he has accepted them. Okay. All okay. Right. All right. Uh, but if he doesn't want them, he can return them. Okay. I'll take my uh, money back. All right. I happen to believe very strongly that Senator Barack Obama is a transformational political figure. And when I see the crowds that he draws in Europe, you know, people may look at that and say, well, why should we be concerned about how popular he is in Europe? Well, the reason we should be is because the next president is going to desperately need the help of the European countries to deal with the problems in Afghanistan, in Darfur, and in Sudan, and in Iraq, and dealing with Iran. And if we do not have a president who the Europeans like and can relate to, it is going to make it incredibly difficult to motivate those countries to help us in these very difficult challenges that we faced in the Middle East. So that's why it is important for us to have a president that the Europeans can relate to and like, because we need European help to deal with these big problems that are in front of us. And I do like the McCain campaign's recent line of attack against Obama is that he's too popular. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's too much yeah. of a celebrity. We don't want a popular American president. Well, I think it's very important for us we to have— We forgot what that was like for the past eight years. But. Yeah. I think it's very important for us to have a popular U.S. president because if we have a popular U.S. president, that president is going to be able to go to Europe— and be able to motivate the Europeans to put some pressure on their governments to take an interest in helping the United States deal with the threats uh, to the world that are developing in Afghanistan with the reorganization of al-Qaeda and the, 
And, uh, and I think that uh, that kind of leadership could also be very helpful in persuading the European governments to help deal with the problems in Iraq and dealing with the problems in Sudan and Darfur. And so um, I think it is extremely important for us to elect a president who is a global leader because we are the greatest country in the world and we need a leadership that the world looks at, admires, and is willing to follow. To sort of the nitty-gritty of the campaign, Pat Roberts has millions of dollars in his war chest. Uh, he's leading in all the polls right mm-hmm. now. He's been in Washington since well, well before I was born and is kind of the all-around definition of entrenched incumbent, kind of like a tick that's really burrowed in. <laughs> what makes you think that yeah. you can dig him out? Well, let me just confirm that, that Senator Roberts is the entrenched incumbent. There is no question about that. Check his financial reports, and you will see that nearly half of his money comes from the special interest in Washington. And, and uh, so he is embraced and supported by Big Oil that has given him more than $300,000 to fund his campaign. He is supported by all the other big, powerful special interests in Washington. They're not supporting me. Let me make that very clear. And they're not going to support me because they like the status quo. And Senator Roberts is the status quo, and they know it, he knows it, and I hope Kansans focus on this very important fact before fall. We are the underdog. We're going to be behind in this election until about the 5th of November, <laughs> okay? And uh, we're going <laughs> to come behind. For yourself. Yeah, we're going to come from behind just like the Jayhawks did. Uh-oh. And you remember they were down nine points with about two minutes to go, and they came back and won the national championship. And all I would say to Kansans is keep an eye on Jim Slattery in late October as the people of Kansas really focus on the real choices out there and focus on the facts and the things that are really important to their lives. What Jim Slattery has been doing as a lawyer lobbyist in Washington, representing good causes, good, good companies and workers in, in Kansas, is not relevant really to the future compared to what Senator Roberts has been doing representing them in Washington, what he did around the Senate Intelligence Committee, what he has done on energy policy, what he has done on fiscal policy, and voting for the bridge to nowhere in Alaska. When people focus on his real record, they're going to say it's time for change. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, what book are you currently reading? Well, I'm reading The Last Campaign. That's one book that I'm reading. I'm reading Millennial Makeover, which is another great book about just sort of the generation behind the Generation Xers. And uh, I am also reading What Happened by Scott McClellan. So I'm reading about three books at the same time. And that's, that's, I guess that's why I'm ADD. But uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, What Happened is a very interesting and compelling book. Yeah. And it's the book written by Scott McClellan, who was, Senator, who was President Bush's press secretary, his very close confidant. And he's written this book basically bearing his soul and acknowledging that there was serious deception uh, and overselling of the war in Iraq. And uh, I find it a very telling book. Basically what he's telling the American people is you weren't told the truth. Mm. And you weren't told the truth about war. And that is a very, very serious charge. Indeed. And a quick follow-up to that. Uh, What is one book that you recommend everyone read? Well, this is going to sound a little weird to you, 
but the most important book for people to read and understand because it is at the heart of our culture is the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, and that's that's where it can all start. <laughs> Why do you think it is important for people to, even if you're not religious, yeah. perhaps, to read and understand the Bible? Oh, for goodness sakes, you read the Bible so that you understand the, the biblical stories that... And, and you understand just the message of Jesus and, and understand that, that whether you accept Jesus or you're a believer or not, as a historical fact, Jesus of Nazareth was the most influential per- person that ever walked the face of the earth as just a basic objective historical fact. And that's true whether you accept his deity or not. And so I would just suggest as, a, as somebody who desires sort of a classical education I don't think one can be classically educated without having read the the Old Testament and the New Testament. And for that matter, they should read the other great books of religion. Indeed. Well, I think that about does it. Jim Slattery, who will be on the ballot next Tuesday, August 5th, for the Democratic primary, and who is campaigning for the opportunity to face Pat Roberts in the general election this November. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for joining us at Lawrence.com. Great to be with you, Gavin, and I look forward to uh, a return appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> Good. <laughs>